Good morning, Bethesda. <clears throat> Today is Family Worship Sunday, um, so we welcome all of the children who are worshiping with us as well. Good to have you here. And also just saying that we will be participating in going to the table of the Lord at the end of this service. Hopefully you received your elements of communion when you came in. There will be another opportunity with our ushers as we reach the end of this service. Well, I have been told that today is a very special day because today is the day that we are celebrating 20 years of Pastor Josh and Amber being on staff at Bethesda. Come here. Twenty years, so you were like, what, five or six when you came on staff? Something like that. Does it feel like 20 years, some days? <laughs> well, we just want to thank you. Obviously, you all are dearly, dearly loved by this fellowship, both of you. And you've, um, you've ministered to hundreds and hundreds of people in counseling sessions and through the pulpit and through what you're doing with our preschool. And uh, I just, uh, we, we pray for the next 20 at Bethesda that God's favor and blessing be upon us and on you in Jesus' name. Thank you. Bless you. <clears throat> Bethesda, we are very blessed here with an incredible staff. We're thankful for it. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago, I made, uh, toward the end of a, our message, I made a, a statement about the altar. Uh, some of you will remember, some of you maybe weren't here for that, but just a, just a, a simple reminder that we wanna be sure that you know the, what we call the altar, which is the front of the church here. This is, the altars are always open for you to come and seek the Lord. That's not happening every place and, and that's fine for them, but we want you to know that here at Bethesda, the altars are open. I truly believe there's something special about literally getting up out of your seat and coming forward and seeking the Lord either for a short time or an elongated period of time, but that is always, always appropriate in this house. I wanna be sure you know that. Take your Bibles and go with me to the beginning, actually the very beginning, <clears throat> literally Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, and if you would stand with me for the reading of our text this morning. Genesis, it's the first book, go all the way to the left and keep going a little further. It's there, Genesis chapter one, verses one and two, everyone's standing. Before I have you read these two verses, just uh, and while you're standing, I'll be very brief about this. Give me a quick moment to say something about the recent tragedies we've seen in our country. These horrific events are saying much about the condition of our nation, and they are graphic reminders of just how much we need the Lord. Would you say amen to that? Obviously, I'm speaking of the tragic events that the one that took place in Buffalo, New York, at the grocery store on May 14th, and then that which we saw this week in an elementary school in Uvalde, Texas. I, just a couple of pastoral comments. Number one, just a reminder, we live in a fallen world, Bethesda. Evil is rampant on most every street corner, and we are witnessing those moments where that evil seems to reach its full capacity. 
Second thing I would say is our culture will always reap what it sows. The more our nation proves uh, that we are going to move out from under the umbrella of God's principles and God's favor, then the more we expose ourselves to the consequences of a godless culture and climate. There is no point in wasting time of trying to understand evil. I understand the why questions come to all of us. Why is this happening so senseless, so tragic? Everything about it, and there are many details about both of these events, and there have been others that are hard, so hard to understand. I know all the experts are weighing in, but the truth remains that life only makes sense when we are living it in relationship with Jesus Christ. Instead of trying to get all the why questions answered, we can only look unto Jesus for his grace to help us all. And finally, let's be like the Apostle Paul and understand that we are called to fight the good fight. I think that's specific, the good fight. So how do we do that? I would propose to you that we do that by following the example of the Lord Jesus who received the devastating news that his cousin John had been beheaded. And what did he do in that moment with receiving tragic news, senseless news? The scripture tells us that he departed from where he was and he went to a desert place to be alone to pray. What Jesus did not do, he did not take arms, he did not embrace a political position, he did not try to dissect every moment of the situation, but he simply found comfort by going to his Father. So our hearts are hurting today for so many who have lost loved ones, black people, Hispanic people, American Indian people, white people, so many. But I'm so thankful to know today that the Lord still is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. Can we just have a word of prayer? Lord, we've called upon you many times already in this service, but so thankful that you allow us to come boldly before the throne of grace. And so today we're asking for the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does so well, bring comfort, bring grace to those who are processing this senseless tragedies, all of these senseless tragedies. And I just ask, oh God, that you will be close to them, close to the brokenhearted. You'll rescue them, Lord. You'll provide everything that they have need. And when the why questions are there, that they will somehow, some way, be drawn to you because you're the only answer. We lift this before you in the name of Jesus. And the church said amen. amen. Genesis 1. Two verses, chapter one, verse one and two. Would you lift your voice and say, in the beginning. We know that Isaiah says the grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our Lord shall stand forever. You may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you for reading. <clears throat> our text provides for us this morning three very strong descriptives of the condition of the earth at its beginning. The scripture clearly tells us that the earth was formless, it was empty, your version of scripture may say it was void. It was formless, it was empty, and it was dark. 
And yet it was over the earth in this condition that the Spirit of God was hovering. A quick glance at the Hebrew root of these descriptive words will will, uh, help us know something a bit more about it. The Hebrew word for formless is tohu, tohu. And it simply means confusion, wasteland, wilderness, a place of chaos. That's what the earth was like in the beginning at the point of reading, the reading of our text. The Hebrew word for empty is, is bohu, bohu, and it simply means what it means. It's empty. There's nothing there, empty and void. The Hebrew word for darkness is hoshek, blackness, gloom, despair. Darkness in this sense means terror, ignorance, hard to understand and unable to see. Formless, empty, and dark. Now, if you used any of these words, if you or I used any of these words as a descriptive of what we were talking about, no doubt we would be speaking, not positively, but be speaking very negatively about something. One Hebrew scholar said this about these three words. They seem to suggest this uh, formless, empty, dark. They seem to suggest that something is uh, more than simply passive or, or powerless. In fact, it points to that which is beyond human control, to that which has power and potential to threaten or act. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless. It was empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, but it's this next sentence which ought to capture our attention this morning because it says, in that condition, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Three words that would be used to describe something bad, something negative, and that is the place that God chose to come and hover. That is the place that God chose to make his presence known. So what do we know about this word hover? Well, in our English language and in the way hover is used in our current culture, it could easily have a negative connotation attached to it. But let me once again take you to the Hebrew root to understand uh, the connotation of it and how it's used in Scripture, this word hover. The word is rakaf, rakaf, and it means to be soft towards, hover. It means to be moved by, to be affected by, to cherish, feeling of, of tender love. I, the same thing that God did to a formless, empty, dark world in the beginning is the same redemptive measure that he wants to extend to us today as a nation in mourning, as a people in grief, as a global church who struggles to find its way in a post-COVID season, and as individuals, you and me, who find ourselves in want and need of him. The Spirit of God is ready and willing to hover over us. Is anyone thankful for that today? Rakaf, rakaf, hover, to be soft towards us, to be moved with compassion to us, to be affected by our pain and grief, to cherish us, to let us know his tender love. 
The truth is that every last one of us, no matter where we are in this journey of life, know what it is to have seasons where we recognize that we are formless. We are, you and I. Chaotic, confused, or in a wilderness. That we're empty, void, and looking for some kind of fulfillment. And that we're, or that we're dark. No light can be found. Not necessarily evil, it's just that you, you simply can't see. And it's important to understand that when God was hovering, rakaf, over the formless, the empty, and the dark, he was doing so in a sense because he loved the chaos. That doesn't make a lot of sense, I know. He loved the chaos. It sounds crazy. Why would God love the formless? Why would he love the empty and the dark? It's because he knew that although the earth at that time was formless, he was soon to bring shape and form to the chaotic wasteland. And although this earth was empty and void, he was soon to speak life into it and to bring fullness of life into it. And even though the earth was dark, because in the very next verse, the verse we did not read, verse three, he was about to say, let there be light. And there was light. God could hover over something and not be disturbed by the brokenness of it because he could see the potential in it. Hallelujah. Dive a little deeper with me into this word hover, if you would. This Hebrew word that I've referenced for hover, rakoth, is only mentioned three times in the whole of the New Testament. One of those mentions is in Deuteronomy 32, where it says, for the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. He found them in a desert land, in an empty, howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes, like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers. That's the word here is rakaf in Deuteronomy 32 like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spread his wings to take them up and carry them safely on his pinions. The analogy of the mother eagle who is hovering over young is according to this verse for two reasons. What we just read is to protect them. The hovering is to protect them and to, to carry them. And I want to suggest to you this morning, Bethesda, this very day that God is hovering today over this nation. God is hovering over his church, his chosen bride. And I'm going to be so bold as to say, and God is hovering over you to protect you and to carry you. Is there a grateful person in the house today? So some might say, Pastor Dan, uh, can you substantiate this in the New Testament? Sure I can. The same picture is in Matthew 23 where Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I have wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you would not let me. So when you and I read the Genesis account of creation, very often 
the primary takeaway, if not the only takeaway for us, is that God spoke and there was. God spoke and there was light. God spoke and there was the sky. God spoke and there was vegetation. God spoke and he made the sun to shine by day and the moon by night. God spoke and there was man and woman. But I want you to see this morning and allow me to help you to remember that before God spoke, which is almost the very first thing you read in Scripture, of all of Scripture. But before God spoke, he hovered. Before God spoke to fix anything, before God spoke to separate land from sea, before he spoke to separate earth from sky, he hovered with love. And he hovered seeing the full potential of what it could be. He hovered over the brokenness. He hovered over the emptiness. He hovered over the darkness. So the next time you read the Genesis account of creation, yes, take it all in. The times where it says that God spoke, that's about the first thing you come to, almost the first thing. But only do that after you fully take in the fact that God hovered. So what's that supposed to mean to me today, Pastor Dan? It means that God never abandons you. It means that he is always with us. We know his word says he never leaves us and never forsakes us. Even in those moments where you feel formless, where you feel broken, where you feel chaotic, where you feel empty and you feel dark, he is the God who hovers. Somebody say bless the Lord today. Now I understand that not everyone here has a great feeling about this idea of hovering. Maybe you've been bad hovered before. I hear the nervous laughter. Uh, the government could bad hover you. Two or three weeks ago, I went to renew my driver's license. Uh, it was time to, where you actually had to go in and take the eye test. By the grace of God, I passed it. <laughs> the guy finally holding this, he said, close enough. <laughs> I said, close enough. I walked up to it later, I could actually see it. I said, I wasn't even close at all. But I went to uh, get my driver's license and, and uh, it was, I don't know if you've had to do that recently, but it's hard to get an appointment, you have to wait a long time. The closest appointment on the closest date I could get was in Bowie, Texas. I drove all the way to Bowie to get my driver's license. Kind of a nice drive. And so, you know, after all, he's sitting there typing or, and, all of a sudden, he gets this weird look and did not bring me a lot of comfort. He said, um, are, you, are you James Daniel Smith? I said, I am. Were you born on March 19... <laughs> yes, sir, I was. He said, um, we seem to have a problem here. There is a warrant out for your arrest <laughs> in the state of Pennsylvania and you are ineligible to have your license renewed and if, in that state. And the law says, and I'm required to tell you, that if, if you're not eligible in one state, you are not eligible in all 50 states. Sir, I cannot renew your license. I said, well, hold on a second here. 
I said, I have fought the common name problem. I could give you five stories right now of issues that I've had pretty major because of the common name problem. So I had to go through the explanation. You know, yes, I've been to Pennsylvania a couple of times. I've never driven a car there. Um, uh, one of the others was, the most notable ones, is a background check was run on me one time here not too long ago, uh, oh, about 10 years or so ago. And so, uh, and it came back, the background check said that I had been in a, pen in a penitentiary in New Jersey for three years. <laughs> and I came home, I said to Becky, I said, you know, I've been on staff at Bethesda a long time. Do you think they would have noticed if I'd been absent for three years? They probably would have noted that at some point in time. I say all that to say, sometimes the government and bureaucracy can bad hover over you. I've had a little bit of that recently. Um, you might have noticed Facebook could bad hover you. You got to be careful what you click on because pretty soon an ad will pop up thereafter. Am I right about it? Uh, your Alexa is hovering over you. Let me just tell you, if you got one of those devices. So there's good hovering and there's bad hovering. If an attack uh, helicopter showed up right now and hovered over this church, it could be really good or it could be really bad. They could be here to protect us or they could be here to destroy us. And I think the challenge for every parent is to know how and when to hover and when to release the intensity of your hovering. Can I get an amen from all the students? You don't have to applaud, just an amen is fine. <laughs> when that child is an infant, a newborn or even a toddler in early childhood, you, you, you got your hovering skills had better be fine-tuned and on point. You've got to watch every second of what's, I mean, they could really do damage to themselves or your house or you or whatever. You've got to watch very carefully. It's in that period of time where your helicopter parenting skills become uh, greatly crafted. Can I get an amen to that? But then as they reach adolescence, a wise and discerning parent learns how to hover more covertly and top secret. <laughs> you still do it, you just can't let them know that you're doing it. Sorry, parents, I'm blowing your cover here with your students sitting here. Does that mean you care any less? No, certainly not. But when you can let your child make a safe mistake and allow them to learn from it, you are helping your child for the rest of their days. So there's good hovering, there's bad hovering. Let me, let me turn the corner in this message. Almost every message has a place where you turn the corner. We've looked at the Hebrew root for the primary words we found in our text this morning, formless, empty, dark. I want you to hang on to that. We've looked at the Hebrew root for the word hover which is what we understand the Spirit of God was doing. Now let me put this together in an effort to do what I endeavor to do every time I stand behind this pulpit. I want to help you find yourself in the text today. Here's number one. He's the God who hovers over darkness. Would you say that please? <clears throat> now those of you who have been paying close attention are probably already thinking, Dan, that's not the order you presented these. You're doing it backwards, and you're right, and you wonder why I'm reversing the order. Some of the rest of you are going, order? There's an order? What's the order? 
wonder why I'm reversing the order that we've already clearly established with the three main words from our text, because you read it correctly to me a while ago. The way the words are presented in verse 2 is formless was listed first, empty second, and darkness was third. So I'm going to then give them back to you in reverse order, and there's a reason for that. Here's why. Because... As I've already alluded to, the very next verse, verse 3 of Genesis 1, God says, let there be light, and there was light. There are first presented, these, these three words, they are first presented in the opposite order, but then when God addressed them, he spoke to the light first. I think there's something hidden in this text that should be important to you and me. That's literal and symbolic. Because if he's going to describe something that's formless and empty, if he's going to deal with something that's formless and empty, he could fill it and fix it, but you would never know because you're still in the dark. So he brought light first to the darkness. It's the first thing he said. After we're told the condition of the world at the time of creation and that God was suffering, the first thing he said was, let there be light. And do not forget, please, that the darkness is part of his hovering to help us to us to see. Before God did anything about the formlessness, before God did anything about the emptiness, he wanted to fix the darkness issue first. We know that Jesus said in John chapter 8, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And it is so true of us all that we spend such a large portion of our time trying to fix the broken, fix the chaotic, fix the mess. Uh, trying to get out of the wilderness, trying to fill our lives with any and everything that brings fulfillment to fill the void, fill the void, fill the void. And God is saying, you're messing up the order of things. Because if you do not first get the light of life, which is Jesus Christ, if that's not first, then nothing you will ever do, nothing that you will ever try will ever come to fruition. So the order was very important and intentional in this text. It's called Jesus first, Jesus first, Jesus first. Look with me at at the uh, Messianic prophecy in Isaiah chapter 60 that you know so well. This is a prophetic word about the coming Messiah, Jesus. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears where? Ah, what's he doing? Before anyone can ever talk to us about how to find order in a formless world, or how we can find fullness in the emptiness of this world. We can never find a solution until we encounter the solution in Jesus Christ. Is there an amen in the house today? If you ever come to the seasons of your life, and you will if you haven't, 
where you feel formless, where you feel empty, like you're in a wilderness, like things are chaotic, I would present to you that somehow, in some way, there's an area of your life that has become dim. And if that's true, there's one thing to do, dear friend. We must first go back to Jesus, back to the only source of light. It all starts with, let there be light. It starts there. Because when we can, because when we can never find we can never find order in, in chaos. We can never find fullness and emptiness without going to the source of light first. We've referenced Andre Crouch recently and several times, I think. His songs have uh, been resonating back in my heart over and over. Some of you remember he used to have Jesus is the answer for the world today. Anybody remember Andre's song? Above him there is no other. Jesus is the way. It's so true. Jesus first, Jesus first. The darkness of this world must bend its knee to the light every single time. We need the light of life because the world in which we live is so dark, it is insanely dark. No better examples than what we've seen this month in Buffalo and in Uvalde. But the word of the Lord to us this morning from our text is this, and I want you to hear it clearly, please, from this pulpit today. If something is dark, that means God is hovering over it. Somebody ought to take comfort in that today. Somebody's heart ought to be encouraged today. If there's an area of your life that feels dark, cloudy, you can't see, you're wishing you could just see a bit around the corner, I want you to know God is hovering over it. He is not absent. He has not forgotten. He has not abandoned. He is not there. We know what the Apostle Paul said to the Ephesians, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And then Jesus said, in John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And then John in the first chapter, the word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Hallelujah! Yes, the world is dark. We've seen it graphically this week, in the last several weeks. But you and I have our own measure of darkness as well, which means you and I have places where we feel like we just can't see. I think all of us, we love the verse about you know, it's a lamp, the word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, but it's just a lamp, <laughs> which means you'd love to see the next 20 miles, you'd love to see the next 10 years, you'd love to see, no, you've got enough to take the next step. It's a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. Because we all wish we could just see maybe around the corner. But I just want to remind you that when you feel darkness, feel like it's darkness is all around you and you feel like you can't see, God is hovering there at that place. Number two, he's the God who hovers over empty things. Those of us who've experienced anything of life, 
understand this to be true. The world is empty. The world is empty. The world really has nothing to offer you. You can chase after a lot of things, but anything you could ever achieve, accomplish, or chase on this earth is empty once you get there. But, so let me show you what the Bible has to say about the future of this world, just to substantiate this point. This is gonna bless you. You're gonna be shouting loudly when I read this verse. Isaiah 24, the earth will be completely emptied and looted. The Lord has spoken. The earth mourns and dries up, and the land wastes away and withers. Even the greatest people on earth waste away. Now there's your encouraging verse for the day. Probably one you want to commit to memory. Put it on your refrigerator, on your bathroom mirror. You, that's, that's one you want for that. So the question must be, if that's true, if the Word of God is true, the prophet Isaiah is right, then why do we chase after it so fervently? Why do we find so much of our purpose, our validation, our accomplishment, our satisfaction, gratification in that which is empty? And then we wonder why after chasing after these things, it really doesn't change how we feel one iota. Sometimes it's the journey to get there is the most exciting part of the whole thing. That happens because we've filled ourselves with something which has a gaping hole at the bottom of it. Any and everything this world has to offer us is empty. So if that's the world's emptiness, what about our emptiness? We know that the Bible talks a lot about fullness. We are called to live life to the full, though we have a propensity toward emptiness. If we don't chase after the right things, if we don't pursue the right things, if we don't long for the right things, we will be empty. The Apostle Paul said to the Romans, I pray that the God of all hope will fill you completely as you trust in him, Romans 15, 13. I pray that the God of all hope will fill you completely as you trust in him. The book of Acts reminds us that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The book of Luke says, give and you will receive and your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together, running over. That's certainly not empty. Though we are called to live this life to the full, we spend a significant amount of time uh, feeling so very empty and there's only one thing to do one thing to do when that happens, and that's to run to Jesus. Get back to the only one who can truly fill you when you are empty, and his name is Jesus. You know, I've had a strange thought when considering all this. I can't help but wonder if God is attracted to empty stuff. It may be particularly true for those in leadership. I think we, those in leadership, we try to present ourselves as if we're all together, everything is all put together. But I've spent my lifetime dealing with spiritual matters in the church, and all I can tell you is what I've seen from my own experience. Uh, what I've seen is this, that God is attracted to someone who has emptied himself or herself and then comes back to God and says, Lord, I'm completely empty. There's nothing left of me. Would you fill me up? 
Some of you will remember, here comes a song, song warning. Fill my cup, Lord. Lift it up, Lord. Come and quench this thirsting of my soul. Bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Here's my cup. Fill it up and make me whole. Let me give you a couple of quick examples from Scripture on this idea of God being attracted or, or him finding emptiness irresistible. Second Kings, Elisha tells the woman who's out, she's out of oil for cooking, tells her to go borrow empty jars from her neighbors. She, neighbors. she sends her son out and they bring jars and more jars and more jars and she took the little bit of oil that she had and from that she filled up every jar that was brought to her to the brim. If you bring me empty stuff, God says, I'll fill it up. In the previous uh, chapter, Elisha says, dig this valley full of ditches. You create the emptiness and I will fill it up. Why? Because God hovers over emptiness. You bring him your emptiness. You confess to him your emptiness and watch him fill up your emptiness within within, with goodness and mercy and kindness and salvation and redemption. While we're searching to find things to fill up our emptiness, God stands constantly ready to fill empty any empty soul who comes to him. God is attracted. He finds our emptiness irresistible, so much so that he hovers over it. Number three, he's the God who hovers over formless mess. A quick reminder that the Hebrew word for formless includes confusion, wasteland, wilderness, and a place of chaos. Only God could have brought order to the chaos in the world in its beginning. Only the Lord can bring order to the chaos of our day. Psalm 46 gives us that beloved psalm that we know so well, that God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in trouble. In order for him to be present help in trouble, think about this, means that he was there before he fixed the trouble. He didn't come after it was fixed. He was there when it was a mess from the beginning. And I say that to tell you he was hovering over it. You and I tend to think that when God sees a mess, he runs from it because he's such a holy God. He couldn't stand to be in the middle of our mess. I would dare to disagree with you and say that the bigger a mess you're in, the more God is attracted to you. So much so that he hovers over the mess. Now, our world is a mess, but I am greatly comforted to know that somehow... In his divine wisdom and sovereignty, God is hovering over the mess of our world. Let me just kind of tell you, when I'm thinking about the mess of our world, let me tell you my conclusion. It's this. Putin is not in control. Kim Jong-un is not in control. President Biden is not in control. Trump is not in control. The government is not in control. Your boss is not in control. Your financial situation is not in control. COVID is not in control. The world and the way of the world is not in control. Hollywood is not in control. 
The culture is not in control. There is one and only one who is in control, and he's the one who sits on the throne of heaven, sovereignly ruling the affairs of this universe. He's the Lord God Almighty, the maker of the heavens and the earth. He and he alone is in control. Somebody shout hallelujah today. And where there's a mess, you can be sure that God is present. Pastor Brent, if you want to come. He's hovering. Hovering. So if that's the world's mess, what about our mess? Truth is, you're a mess. I'm a mess. We're all a mess. No matter how perfectly we try to present ourselves when we come to church, every one of us, starting with me, we're a mess. But God is hovering over us. Hallelujah. When the Spirit of God was hovering, brooding, some versions say, over the formlessness of the earth in the beginning, He wasn't hovering because of its current form. Rather, He knew it for what He was about to speak into it. He could see what it was going to be. Oh, when I think of this thought, I, I have to think of the song lyrics of our dear friend Jaron, who says, beautiful, that's how mercy saw me. Though I was broken and so lost, mercy looked past all my faults. The justice of God saw what I had done, but mercy saw me through the sun, not what I was, but what I could be. That's how mercy saw me. God doesn't just see us for the condition that we're in. He didn't just see this earth at creation for the condition it was in. He saw it for the potential of what it could be. That's why he hovered over it. He was attracted to the formlessness. He was attracted to the emptiness. He was attracted to the darkness because he knew what he could do with that. He could do something that would bring glory and honor and blessing to his name forever and ever. There's a wonderful proverb that puts all this into perspective. Talking about our mess, it says this. It's one of Dr. Marty's favorite verses, Proverbs 14. Without oxen, a stable stays clean, but you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Now that's lovely in that version. Let me give you another version of it that might make it a little more clear. The only clean stable is an empty stable. So if you want the work of an ox and to enjoy an abundant harvest, you will have a mess or two to clean up. (laughs) Do I need to give further exegesis? (laughs) Did you get it? How does that translate to us? We want the abundant harvest of the Lord. But we don't really want to get our hands dirty, do we? And we assume that if we've gotten our hands dirty, that we can no longer be used by God. How many people have I known through the years? How many people in this house have thought, I've messed the whole thing up. My hands got dirty. I'm kind of dirty all over. And I can no longer be used by God. And yet that is so far from the truth. 
Now, please don't interpret that to mean that we can just go live a life of doing whatever we want, whenever we want, because that's idolatry. But it does mean that we need to constantly come back to the light when we are in darkness. Let me just tell you that leading people is messy. Parenting is messy. Marriage is messy. Teaching students is messy. Your work is probably messy. And I can say for sure, pastoring is certainly messy. But according to this verse in Proverbs, when you're in a mess, it's time to get out your shovel. Just remember that without the mess, there is no blessing and there is no harvest. And remember that God is hovering over the mess. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And the same God who was attracted to the formlessness, the emptiness, and the darkness of this world in the beginning, so much so that he chose to hover his presence there, is the same God who sees your formlessness, your emptiness, your darkness, and he's hovering over you today to make his presence known in your life. Blessed be the name of the Lord.